Welcome back to the FreightWaves Global Supply Chain Week. I'm John Kingston, FreightWaves Editor-at-Large. When the voluminous history of 2020 is written, and that's going to be quite a book, <laughs> I think that one of the companies in the freight space that's going to uh, be written about a lot, I think one of the companies that had a starring role, really, will be Forward Air. And we're joined here at the uh, at Global Supply Chain Week by its chairman, president, and CEO, Tom Schmidt. Welcome, Tom. Good to be here with you, John. So my theory as to why you're going to be one of the most important companies or maybe one of the companies most affected uh, by the pandemic, as, as well as other things, is that a great deal of your business involves taking air freight and then injecting it into your LTL network to get it to its final destination. Air freight was disrupted in ways both good and bad. Uh, some passenger planes took out seats to move freight, but other businesses are not needed to move material at all or in much smaller quantities. So you kind of had it both ways. So what did you have to do to adapt to these changes? Yeah, first of all, John, you're uh, absolutely correct that we had an acceleration of a, of a reinvention and a growth story. But let me just be a bit more specific. So for many transportation companies that you also are covering, the uh, change of the business model post-COVID, uh, especially for like a FedEx, a UPS, and Amazon, meant, okay, every single day, it's it felt like with e-commerce boom accelerating, like Christmas and Easter on the same day every day and honey flowing off the trees. I'm oversimplifying these companies do an awesome job. They're first-class companies, and they obviously have to earn that business, but there was a lot of business to go after. For us, as you mentioned, John, uh, our company started moving air freight onto the ground and moving it from one airport to another airport in a truck. What's in that airplane belly typically is high value goods with very, very tight time windows and fast transit times. Most profitable customers are the ones that benefit from that type of precision execution. And those would be events, they would be concerts, it would be trade shows, it would be uh, set up for, for cruise lines. And all the things that temporarily went to sleep in March were our fundamental kind of uh, cash cow, which was the basis and the origin of our company. That all went away. Now, fortunately, this is where luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. Fortunately, we were prepared with a growth program, which we called Grow Forward. Not super creative, but uh, it fits. And uh, we've had ways to find, keep, and expand business that we put in place two years ago. So all we did post-COVID with 30% of our business temporarily gone, the most profitable of our business, because it was the highest valuation uh, business for our, our most sensitive customers. Um, with that gone, all we did was we dialed up all the other pieces in our Grow Forward program much faster. So. Take December as an example. In December of 2020, our fastest growing and the highest number of closes business segment was medical supplies. Medical supplies was not a huge part of who we are before COVID. We, again, we had the program in place to turn these industry verticals of, of valuable freight up. All we did was we did it much, much, much faster than we otherwise probably would have. That's the first change. Uh, it's basically acceleration of something that we put in place. But again, bear in mind, what really, really helped us is being prepared by having a program in place in the first place. If we hadn't had that, 
you've stumbled for a long time. Let me ask you about something like medical supplies. You say that it really hadn't been a big business of yours before. It was on your radar or something to do. Suddenly you you got this great opportunity. How do you create the uh, the personal ties with the companies that need to ship this kind of thing? It's not like you can rely on old reliables like, hey, let's go to uh, visit this manufacturer's uh, home headquarters and take them out to dinner and uh, tell them all about how wonderful we are. And you've got to do this all remotely. How do you do that from just ground zero? Yeah, it's a good question, John. I mean, the first thing is, is uh, again, in this uh, Grow Forward program, there are parts of the of the program that are easier. So take the specific example of what you're talking about. Medical supplies, in some cases, are part of the freight volume inside the same customers that also have an events division. So the first and the, the near stretches talk to the same people that are our valued customers. Just don't talk with them about events. Talk about uh, medical supplies, which is also in their freight universe. Then we stretched in other ways over the last several years, one stretch was into the 3PL space. These are sizable companies that match up demand and supply of freight. Well, in the past, we looked for one category of freight inside 3PLs almost exclusively. Over the last year, we started looking much more intensely at other parts of what's inside their freight universe. So the first two, current customer base with domestic forwarders as a big one. Uh, secondly, 3PLs. These were customers that we dealt with on a regular basis already. We just now had a different chapter in the conversation. The, the other one is harder, and that's the one, Sean, I think you probably had in mind. We did reach out, literally, uh, with no relationship in place, companies that did, did not know us, small, medium-sized shippers in those industry verticals in SIC code 898 and SIC code 700. That's what we used uh, Dun & Bradstreet and Hoover for. So that's what we ended up doing. Uh, but that was, that was the tougher part. The easier part was the first two, where we talked with existing customers. So they got the question of, you know, what do you do when you can't wine and dine them? So I guess, Tom, you pick it up like about where, where you were responding to me. So that's a good question. And John, there's really two parts to that answer. The first answer is, um, it's a different conversation with the same customers. That's the easier part. So we talked to uh, domestic forwarders uh, in the past about events. Now we're talking with them about SIC code 700 and 898, which is medical supplies and heavy e-commerce. So it's the same customers. Fortunately, we have those relationships, different chapter of conversation. The harder part is obviously when we go ground up uh, to companies, small, medium-sized shippers, in that new space medical supplies. Well, we don't know these companies, they don't know us. And that's literally inside sales, cold calling, building up a relationship, five to 10% response rate. It's a lot of work, but that's the way you work a pipeline with a large funnel up front and then you work through it. That part was the harder part. Fortunately, we have experience with this type of growth program and we know exactly which ones of these dials are quick ones to dial up, obviously existing customers, which ones take a bit longer. But by July of last year, after having lost 30% of our business in March, by July of last year, we were back at the same volumes that we had July the previous year. That's, a, that's an impressive turnaround. Let me ask you, how much was the air freight industry impacted by the uh, all those seats getting ripped out of passenger planes and instead carrying cargo. Did that make a, a noticeable difference? Uh, you know, it, it appeared to the outside as, 
just some airlines trying to do anything to survive. But was it a big enough impact that you really felt it in the air freight business? Uh, we did feel it to some extent, but obviously, uh, John, you're making a very uh, valid point. The impact on the passenger side for airlines was obviously gigantic. Um, if you look at the uh, capacity utilization rates of uh, passenger airlines in the first half of uh, last year, post-COVID, so we're talking second half of March plus second quarter, there was a tiny fraction, 10 15% utilization, where those numbers in the previous years, especially 2018, were for some of the airlines in the mid to high 80s. So like we're talking a downsizing by 5x temporarily. Um, that's never been, that was not the case on the freight side. The freight side was impacted, but to your point, in some cases, actually, there was even more freight capacity because of uh, passenger airplanes being reconfigured to become freight airplanes. Very different impact passenger versus cargo. Really, yeah. Now, you made another strategic decision in 2020 to build out your LTL operations. Obviously, the, the movement of freight from one airport to another, which was the bread and butter of forward air for many years, that's an LTL business really by definition. But you want to go bigger in LTL. So what, what was the process that led to you saying, okay, this is a, this is a place where we want forward air to grow? What, what, what made it so ripe? Yeah, John, so this is a, it's a basic question of uh, what's the total addressable market and how do we go after it? The airport-to-airport -airport business, which is the one that we started in 30 years ago, actually, in fact, 1990, uh, total addressable market there is less than a billion. So uh, if you take all the routes that go from one airport to another airport, uh, we have about three to $400 million in that traditional airport-to-airport -airport business. Some of our customers insourced some of the regular lanes over the last decade. Some of our customers also are giving business to uh, competition. There are players in the airport market. So very clearly, um, that market, airport to airport, the unintended runway for us in that space was limited. Now, you look at the LTL market in the U.S. alone, that's more than a $40 billion industry. The premium segment, which is the same type of LTL freight that with our airport-to-airport business, is at least 10% of that $40 billion market, $4 billion plus. Same sensitive handling, low damage ratios, fast transit times, very tight time windows, same requirements as in our airport-to-airport -airport business. So we had a very simple choice to make, which is, are we restricting ourselves to that half a billion dollar or so airport to airport market where there is not much runway left for us? Or alternatively, are we actually going for the premium segment, $4 billion plus in the LTL market that has the same requirement profile as the airport to airport piece does? That answer was simple. And over the last two or three years, we are stretching into that. I also, as you mentioned, I think you're implying that, us building out our LTL terminal network. Yeah, now, and then, of course, in 2020, if a company decides, let's get big in LTL, they suddenly have a ripe opportunity for expansion all in one shot with the UPS decision to sell UPS freight. Of course, that went to TII in Canada. Did you look at that? And uh, what was, I mean, were you, were you interested or did you pull back and decide to grow organically instead? You know, there's always that buy versus build decision for any company looking to get bigger. You decided to build, but maybe were you looking at buying? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point, John. So uh, traditionally, if you look at the last five, six years, 
In the expedited freight segment, our acquisitions were primarily in the final mile space, high value uh, appliances that we, again, uh, very uh, sensitive handling, very tight time windows, but good margin uh, possibilities. Um, but uh, we also started looking at uh, doing exactly what you're doing. For us, acquisition has become something that's part of our DNA. Again, was mostly final mile, some intermodal drayage, um, but we also are looking at LTL opportunities that way. So specifically, uh, UPS freight we did not look at. Specifically, other um, footprints we are very much looking at. LTL for us organically is very, very well possible because we can oftentimes piggyback on final mile locations, get started, and after a few months, we, we put our own facility up. So there's very low risk ways of getting into that, but we are looking at inorganic too. So, John, my expectation would be over the next months, you'll be starting to see us also firing in the LTL space. Initially, uh, with Smaller ventures, but that's clearly M&A has become part of our DNA, and we should and will be applying it in the LTL space also. And every company that talks about LTL, I mean, the LTL companies had a great second half of the year. I know that I followed some of the earnings in the fourth quarter. They were just, you know, gangbusters. Uh, and they keep saying it's e-commerce, e-commerce. Is that the biggest driver for your plans to try to expand in LTL, or do you have other things involved there too? Yeah, e-commerce is a big part of the growth story. But I mentioned to you before, uh, in December, the uh, biggest single um, industry vertical in terms of new LTL business closed for forward air was medical supplies. So uh, again, you have to remember, we have a commitment towards what we call a double-double. Every single year as a company, we're striving towards double-digit margins as a company and double-digit revenue growth. So double-digit margins, we have to be very, very purposeful that we're actually fishing in this premium LTL pond and not in the drop-and-run e-commerce space. Some of the higher-value e-commerce, very much inside the wheelhouse of what I'm describing. Some of the literally, we drop it at your doorstep and run. That's not where we can uh, create value that allows us to go for a double-digit margin. Okay. Now, when the history of forward air in 2020 is written, besides all the things you just talked about, obviously you're going to talk about December and the fact that you were the victim of a cyber attack. That puts you in for some pretty, not only called exclusive company, it's a company with a lot of other companies in it uh, who have been victim of cyber attack. I thought what was interesting about forward air is that um, you were very open about it. I interviewed you for a story in Freightwaves. I interviewed your CIO, uh, Jay Tomasello, uh, for that interview, for a separate interview as well. Obviously, you're a publicly traded company. You had to file statements with the SEC about how it impacted the business. But I think you really wanted to talk to the industry about what to do when you're stuck with this. Now, you know, you told me that this was not something that you had only thought of occasionally, that you had done a kind of a desktop exercise about what would happen if you got hit with a cyber attack just a couple of weeks before it actually happened. So uh, you seem to have been well prepared. You got hit anyway. So now, having gone through that, what are some of the biggest lessons you take away that you would that you would give to others? Yeah. So I mean, there's a handful of uh, points. Um, the first one is, and you mentioned it. I mean, we we stepped up uh, our cybersecurity defense plan significantly. Jay Thomasello, our CIO, came in. He actually had 
unfortunately, obviously, for the industry and for the companies involved, he had very hands-on experience from his prior job at FedEx, uh, FedEx TNT, as was very public at the time, three or four years ago, had a similar incident. So, yeah, and uh, it also, cost like hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars to get out of. It was amazing. It was, yeah, it was horrific. And uh, and then uh, we brought in a chief information security officer in Casey O'Malley, who also was at FedEx and was also part of that. So we had battle-tested leaders uh, in that space driving the defense agenda. It's board-level audit committee, but also overall board-level uh, material for us to have a plan in place, which uh, Jay and team stood up, uh, that basically by customer, by operations, by back office, every single function said, here's the, our next steps of increasing the odds of us being a fortress, of us being safe. And then we went after those uh, steps in a very methodical way in board meetings regularly looked at, okay, are we making progress towards green in that space? Unfortunately, as you mentioned, in cybersecurity, all you're doing is with the best plan, you're increasing your odds. You're not achieving guarantees of not being hit. So that being said, point number two, point number one is get the plan in place and execute it that actually increases your odds. Secondly, you still might get hit um, because there's no guarantees. So what do you have to do? You have to have a recovery plan. And this is where uh, it was beautiful. And on uh, December 29th, uh, I went to the Atlanta terminal just around the corner from where I'm at right now in our office here um, and talked to the uh, terminal manager, Justin Osborne, about how did you guys do actually? I know from a statistics perspective how you dealt with it, but walk me through it. And then uh, that defense plan and recovery plan for us was to uh, divide a terminal into four quadrants and then have experienced uh, managers or shift managers dispatch the freight in each quarter because you can actually, this is small enough, but you can then do it basically with pen and pencil. Um, because what happened on December 15, literally every customer facing system, every operating system, every back office system, locks got activated, which means they no longer worked. So we couldn't dispatch freight in the systemic way. We couldn't pay drivers the systemic way. Um, so, but people had a plan of how to do it manually. Then fortunately also, we, we have a company with very, very experienced, highly tenured uh, operations people. Some of them still had the muscle memory from 25 years ago, basically run a freight system without systems, because that's what they did in, in the early 90s. So uh, between having a very specific plan that's very, very kind of practical, like divide up a terminal into sub-terminals and basically manage by hand, complemented by experience where people actually use their own muscle memory from 20 years ago, helped tremendously. So uh, I guess advice number two would be, please make very certain you have a tremendously practical recovery plan in place um, because if this happens to you, you've got to have that in place. The third one is perhaps a lesson that's a beautiful lesson. So when I talked to this terminal manager, Justin Osborne, he said, like, I never got as many calls as I got from customers last week. I said, I'm sorry. He said, no, no, nothing to be sorry about. Customers called to basically thank me for working this through with them, for still picking up their freight, for still keeping our commitments to them. 
they knew it would be bumpy, but they said, like, we need forward air. We're going to be right by you. We're going to work through this together. So they called actually to thank us for going out of our way and above and beyond to still keep our commitments to them. So for me, the lesson here is build up solid relationships based on competence and good intentions over time, because those commitments, those relationships will allow you to get through times like this. If you're somebody who actually is not respected and to some extent liked by your ecosystem, by your drivers, by your customers, they'll drop you. They don't have to come back. They'll find an alternative. Think about our drivers. We pride ourselves to be a great professional home. If we're not, if our drivers don't get loads that first week of the open, everything is dark, they go somewhere else to get a load. Come back. They do come back if this is a great professional home. So lesson number three to me is build rock solid relationships with all of your ecosystem, drivers, customers, suppliers. Because in times like this, it pays back so many times. So there may be more lessons, but let me just leave it at those. Yeah, and you took several steps to keep everybody whole. Um, if, if their records had been destroyed, or you know, I shouldn't say destroyed, but electronically ruined or were inaccessible because of the cyber attack, you just assumed a pretty long, you know, a full level that they had worked, even though the digital record of that wasn't there. You just said, okay, you know what, we're gonna believe you, you worked a full week. It took several steps like that so that people didn't have to worry about some of their hours sort of disappearing uh, under the cyber attack. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, like this is when uh, when it's truly a team sport. Uh, we put leadership imperatives in place last year um, that really served us well as a company. One of those leadership imper imperatives is uh, uh, go beyond uh, your own four walls, meaning include your drivers in your thinking, your customers in your thinking. We don't wait is another one. Literally, we were on the phone, a leadership team, three times a day between December 15 and December 31st, and really like real time. Uh, I always said like, we're not a philosophy club, we're an action club. Um, and I also said one of those imperatives is we don't wait. I may have mentioned to you, John, before, inside Forward Air last year in June, I banned the reuse of the word wait. You're not allowed to use that word, W-A-I-T, we don't wait. Um, so because when that all that business went away in March last year, the last thing I can afford, oh, we're waiting for the cruise line business to come back. Well, if that were the case, my successor would deal with that, not me, because I wouldn't be there anymore. You'd still be waiting, right? <laughs> so. <laughs> I'd, oh, I'd be waiting for Godot, yeah. So, but my point is, uh, um, the real-time decision-making that you're alluding to, we sat here and said, like, okay, we need to settle with drivers. What do we do? Healthy debate, mental ping-pong, best idea, best thought wins. Also, always in the spirit, do the right thing by your people. And your people are not just your employees. It's also your independent contractors. It's also the customers. Do the right thing. And uh, this is where values help. This is where those leadership imperatives help. And real time, every single day, three times a day, we decided some of these uh, moves, like how do we settle? How do we pay drivers? Pay the same thing you paid them last week, and then true up later. I, we don't have that much time, but obviously if I'm gonna talk about forward air in 2020 and bleeding into 2021, we have to talk about the fact that as CEO, you're now dealing with the efforts, uh, I won't call you the target, but you are the subject of an investor shareholder action. Um, without going into great detail about what they're seeking and who it is, uh, how does that change your day-to-day -day work? 
Um, it's actually a great point, John. Uh, for me personally, it changes it to some extent. But what I've done with the team is, is uh, very clear, keep the main thing the main thing. So it's almost a bit like the essence of what any shareholder wants is to put chips into your company, which I'm grateful for, and Cora in this case, put $100 million worth of chips into Forward Air because they believe the same thing I believe, which is that there's a lot of untapped upside. So that's a good thing. I'm grateful for that. Now it's my job to keep the main thing the main thing, which is if they're focused on customer segmentation, on pricing, on operating efficiencies, well, that's my full-time job. So I'm actually, and I told them that, there's a lot of common ground. Let's not get distracted by a sideshow and make that the main show. Let's keep the main thing the main thing, which is driving that business, creating that value, keeping service levels getting smarter in terms of pricing for freight and making sure we're getting compensated fully. So the vast majority of what this shareholder wants is the exact same thing. So it's, it behooves me that my team is 100% focused on creating that value. Any noise will go away fairly quickly as long as we are fully focused uh, creating the type of value that I know is there and that they expect to be there. So. The best thing you can do in a case like this is you listen, you figure out exactly, you soak up what it is they're looking for, which is value creation. You look at my, your own game plan and say, okay, we got the levers in place. Let's execute the hell out of them because, frankly, they're going to be cheering for us and vice versa as long as we execute a value creation roadmap that's comparable to, to what they're expecting. And we have time for one more simple question, kind of a softball, but let's assume it's a year from now and you're a guest either in person or virtual at the Global Supply Chain Week for 2022, how different is Forward Air than it is today? It's a stronger company, John. Um, we, uh, last year, accelerated by COVID, not triggered by COVID, but accelerated by COVID, built up that second leg, which in this world today, people call more essential freight. I mentioned medical supplies earlier. Fast forward a year, you and I have a next conversation, and what you and I will see is, oh, this is wonderful. That second leg that we built up in the last nine months, essential medical supplies, valuable e-commerce products is still there and growing. And that first leg that we were built on going back to 1990, we started bringing back, not at full level yet, but then, comp then companies will rightfully say, oh, uh, forward air over there, but hit hard. And fast forward a year or two from then, they actually build a second leg, which they're growing, and they bring their first leg back. So you got a stronger, more multi-legged forward air in 2021 and 2022 than you had before COVID. So what you'll see, we can toast to that, is a stronger forward air because you're more multi-legged. All right. Well, let's hope if we do that, have that conversation, it can be in person in some nice city somewhere. <laughs> so, just virtual. so anyway, Agreed. we want to thank we want to thank Tom Schmidt. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Forward Air. He's been our guest today at the Freightways Global Supply Chain Week. We hope you'll stick around for more interviews. I've been your interviewer for this uh, wonderful interview with Tom, John Kingston. Stick around.